a rough one. I'm sorry. I'm screaming all night. I'm struggling. I'm hanging on by a thread. I went to a black metal show last night. And I brought all the girls. This is the coolest show you're ever going to have because finally it's not going to be a bunch of sweaty basement dudes. dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know Sam Fox? Oh, okay. Never mind. He books he books shows. And so he oh. put on Facebook. I saw it this morning. He goes, y'all, not to cause a panic, but there were girls at a local black metal show last night. What the fuck is going on? Some of them even <laughs> tried to talk to me, but I yelled, I'm married and ran away. And people are like, Pixar didn't happen. Like, no, there were fucking where. Oh, there were people at a black metal show. Stop. Let me stop you there. But yeah, it was pretty good. How have you guys been? Normal. Okay. Cassie? I was in bed at 8.30 last night. Wow. Yeah. I did get up early today. I stayed in bed until 2 p.m. Oh, my gosh. I am I was trying <laughs> I got to off of work. be okay. Oh, God. <laughs> you had work today. Yeah, I had to work oh. today. Uh, sorry about last week, guys. We were not fucking ready. I've been Yeah, we're, we were way behind morning. on this, trying to finish out the season here. It's been really fucking busy lately. So we're, we're here. We finally did it. And in that time... We got some messages from people too, which has been pretty cool. Nice ones. Yeah, only nice, only nice Yay. ones. So this dude Chris Zappa on Instagram sent us a message. Is and he said, related to Frank? He's a music writer. Oh, <laughs> so I think that, that he did that on purpose. Right. So he messaged us on Instagram and he said, "Hey guys, big fan of your show here. Obviously, I just wanted to let you know that I included your podcast in a piece I just published and promoted. That's a lot of peas in that sentence. The best podcasters for serious music lovers." Or best podcasts. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm stupid. Um, Just wanted to share. Thanks for what you do. So we shared that on our Instagram as well. That was pretty cool of him. Um, We've also gotten some emails. Time to go back through. Are they spam? You know how I said that I was going to keep reading the spam emails until we got a real one? Yeah. We got a fucking real one. But I did save these (laughs) spam ones just in case. Um, This one says, hey there. I hope you're doing well. I wanted to let you know about our bang backpacks. Bang like energy drink? Bang, like, bang with an E on the end. Mm, so um, we, I mean, they're, uh, th- this is a good strategy of theirs because I am still mentioning their products. Um, and then I got an email <laughs> and it went to the spam folder. The, the first fucking real email that we've gotten through the website went to the goddamn spam folder. Oh my gosh. Um, so this is from Nina. It says, compliments and research inquiry. That was the subject line. She says, hi, I just wanted to say that I love the show. I started listening about a month ago and it's become one of my very favorite podcasts. So I've told a few awesome. friends about it. So if you see... Uh, listening from North Dakota, it's probably me. Wow. And then I th- actually Neat. mixed that up because I thought that these were the people from Nebraska because we talked about them not too long ago. Oh, yeah. But it's not Nebraska. It's North Dakota. How dare you mistake those two states? They both start with N. <laughs> I forgot. When I saw this email, I was like, oh, shit, it's our Nebraska people. But it straight up says North Dakota, and I'm just an idiot. Anyway, okay. she says it's probably her. Um, I'm going to graduate this year with a major in biological sciences and minor in communications. Lately, I've taken an interest in journalism and music and true crime and my are, are my favorite tro- Ugh, fuck. I'm not going to be able to do this today. <laughs> journalism and music and true crime are my favorite subjects that being said if you guys are ever looking for an extra hand in research i would love to be of your assistance and i think it's funny because she probably sent this because she was like you fuckers never put john london part two out (laughs) (laughs) but anyways thanks nina that's something that we'll have to consider um do you get access do you just get access to the google drive like that though i don't know you're gonna have to work a little harder um actually if you do any sort of work for us at all you're in he who shall not be named um, also got on me on Wednesday. He popped his head in my office and was like, 
what time is John Lennon part two coming out? And I was like, <laughs> oh, sorry, I hate to break the news to you. It's not going to come out till next Wednesday. He was like, I am unsubscribing from Patreon right now. I'm withholding my $5 from you <laughs> until it comes out. And I was like, it's going to be out next week. And he was like, okay, well then I'm unsubscribing for a week. And I was like, wow, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> fuck you. Now we can finally get to it. Mm-hmm. It's not even think- a Patreon episode. Do you know the difference between Spotify and Patreon? And if so, log on to your Patreon because you've never mentioned the Cheese Sounds episode. You only want to bitch about John Lennon, which we are going to do for the next hour. Uh, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. <laughs> You actually surprised like they were in the room with us. Oh, <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> are you That's ever going to be like... I was saying hi to the audience. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyways, I'm Jake. Okay. Stop being so fucking awkward. What are you talking about? I'm just, I'm, I'm doing my part here and you're, you're making it worse. That's Alex over there. <laughs> Cassie over here. Yep. And uh, we're talking about John Lennon part two today, finally. We, we got the window open, so oh, I just yeah. want to say. You can probably close it again. I just did not like the smell when I first came in yeah. here. Yeah, it's full of foam. In boxes. And it's, yeah. this house is like 70 years old. And Cassie's also pregnant, so her sense of smell is like hyper. Yeah. You better hire me as like a dog, drug, drug sniffer dog? dog. Yeah. You're going to be a drug dog now? Yeah. Hey, as long what? as you share. <laughs> no, I'm not sipping them out to take them. So if you hear any weird noises, it's either, um, well, we might have to open that up later. We can if you need us to. It's either like shit going on outside right. or it's Cassie's big gulp, which she has brought again without <laughs> fail. Look. She brings the slurpy things that make noise once you get down to the bottom of this. Like, it's oh, going to oh, melt oh, by the time oh, I'm done. It so, didn't last time, but remember that was a melt. sonic drink. Preservatives, man. That was it. It was literally <laughs> just ice. Oh, I thought it was. No, it's not that. It, I thought it was the like sonic a one was the one you got mad at. Oh. Yeah, well, it's like a slushy, and then like once you drink all the slush part out of it, it's just ice, and it just congeals to itself. Cheers! Dink. Oh, I was doing a send a shot, see a shot, send a shot thing yesterday. Jake doesn't know about this because he doesn't have social media, but occasionally, I think it. I don't know. I started seeing it pop up during the pandemic when everybody was stuck at home, and like you'd put on your story or something, uh, you taking a shot, and then you would tag people, and if they see you do it, then they also have to drop what they're doing and take a shot. So it sounds terrible. It's fucking great. So I did it yesterday and I sent it, I sent it to Cassie and she was like, you fucker, <laughs> I'm very pregnant right now. I was like, uh, I just want to see if you try. You also didn't <laughs> respond knew. to my Miss New Booty song being played at my funeral. I liked the message. I didn't see that. Oh, well, mm. yeah, we're going to play Miss New Booty when um, I die. Cassie dies. We're going to roll her out of the funeral home on that. <laughs> yes. And oh, also there's a cat because I figure there's probably some people listening to the show who haven't listened before. So we just don't address all of these weird noises that happen. So I want to start doing that because last show, Jake, just at this point, we're fucking used to the cat screaming in the background. And holy shit, I've never like I haven't been here not during the podcast until I just I recently moved here like a week ago. And um, when she thinks no one's listening. She sounds like she's gonna fucking die. She's like, <gasps> yeah, that's what like, that's what she does. Oh my god! Like I thought, I literally thought she was dying or no, in pain or something. She, and she's, she's fine. just hanging out. She's just sitting in the kitchen, fucking. Yeah, she'll screaming. she'll do that, and I'll walk out. And I'm like, what? What? What's the problem? And she's like, meow. 
<laughs> yeah, it's I'm like, like she fucking didn't jerk. Anyone was listening, so no she was like, wanted to see how yeah. she sounded. Sometimes I do that. Yeah, you just <laughs> scream <laughs> <laughs> or make eagle noises. Go. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, remember when we used to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake also made a comment the other day. He was like, "What if? Imagine if we started this podcast like nine years ago when we all actually lived in this house. We would have. We'd be so good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We'd be like I was total professionals." That the other day. And, have all kinds of money and shit. Yeah, if we started this um, way back when, because there was a time when we all three lived at this house. <laughs> Julie, quit screaming. See how, see how the tone has changed? Now it's cute. Okay. Uh, John Lennon part two. This is a part where two. John Lennon has his dick out. Oh, oh yes, yeah. it is the part two. <laughs> all right. Shall we name the sources? So many of them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Kathleen commented on the Facebook and she was like, there needs to be a part three for John Lennon because part one was just you guys listing off sources. I was like, you should fair enough. At the end. <laughs> like add it at the end instead. Yeah, we could switch it up, put them on the end. All right. For the sources, please listen to the end of this episode. Watch <laughs> us fucking forget. I'm going to copy and paste. <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then that totally ruins our little fade out. Our show is interesting because it fades out. And you don't know what the fuck we're going to say next. That's not true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should just insert them all throughout the middle. Let's just no. sprinkle them in on page six. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Okay, great. So for your sources, you have to listen to the whole episode because you don't know when they're going to fucking happen. All right. Picking up on John Lennon part two, this is at the beginning of the end of the Beatles. As mentioned in the previous episode, there were some controversial moments like the bigger than Jesus comments and one that we didn't mention about the album cover for yesterday and today. This was an LP released by Capitol. The cover art featured a questionable image of the Beatles in butcher overalls with decapitated baby dolls and raw meat. Uh, the Beatles were basically the first metal band. I... Don't know that I've ever seen this cover before, but I like it, and I really don't see any issues with it. <laughs> Apparently, it is referred to <laughs> by musicologists as the rarest Beatles record in the world, which is probably why I'm just now seeing the cover for the first time. Um, the album was supposedly yanked from distribution in 1966, which I don't see yeah, why. Understandably so. I mean, it's not that bad, but <laughs> it's, it's really not. You can tell they're baby dolls. It's just really so. fucking weird because they all look super happy. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it. I think it's funny. It's so funny. after that, there were riots when the group dissed the Philippines' first lady Imelda Marcos for not attending breakfast with her, which in turn caused them some trouble when trying to exit the country. Could you diss somebody back in the sixties? Though I feel like that wasn't a thing till maybe the the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. But I guess what happened was <laughs> manager Brian Epstein had told the promoter that the group wouldn't attend the event as the Beatles wanted nothing to do with politics. Plus, they were exhausted from being carted all over the country during performances. Um, this is a direct quote from George Harrison, where he says, The next morning, we were woken up by bangs on the door of the hotel. There was a lot of panic going on outside. Somebody came in the room and said, Come on, you're supposed to be at the palace. And we said, What are you talking about? We're not going to any palace. And then um, Paul McCartney said, they, they started banging on the door. And it said, they will come. They must come. But we were saying, look, just lock the bloody door. We're, we're used to it. It's our day off. So leave us alone. Yeah, they always declined any sort of like... Political um, stance. Thing. Yeah, like yeah. when people... Um, when they would go visit different countries and like this was a huge insult to 
her specifically so everyone was like we yeah um so the beatles needed a break and they chose to take a retreat in india as anyone would when they were back the kkk came at them for the christianity remarks seems reasonable i mean i don't think the kkk (laughs) should have any type of platform whatsoever but okay yeah rude so this is about when they had their final tour and released revolver which contains a lot of experimentation and psychedelia Fun fact, Revolver contained a song called Taxman, written by Garog Harrison. I misspelled his name. (laughs) It should be George Harrison. Uh, You may be saying to yourself, indeed, you are correct, Jake. Taxman was on Revolver. For what reason have you singled out this particular song? Well, I'll tell you. Way back in the early 1980s, a young man in his early 20s, armed with a TX cassette port studio and accordion, (laughs) and a dream. Oh, my God. Recorded a song in his friend's garage called Pac-Man, a parody of Taxman. Now, I'm sure everybody listening at this point is like, that's fascinating, Jake. Who is this mysterious person you speak of? Don't worry, I got you, fam. <laughs> his name is Alfred Yankovic. Al oh. sent his recording to a guy by the name of Dr. Demento. He played it for several weeks on his radio show before being served a cease and desist letter from the Beatles' lawyers. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. That happened. The song disappeared into obscurity for several decades until it was finally officially released in 2017 on an album called Medium Rarities, which is part of the squeeze box, uh, the complete works of Weird Al Yankovic, which I just happen to own. It's like 500 bucks. Best 500 bucks I ever spent, honestly. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, Jake. How was Al able to release the songs 35 years later? Keep your pants on, because you're about to find out. Oh, my God. Al They're actually became off. friends with... <laughs> Al actually became friends with Danny Harrison, George Harrison's son. Uh, he learned that George was a fan of his work, which blew his mind. I'd imagine that would be anybody. Mm-hmm. George Harrison likes your stuff. Uh, with this friendship and backing from Danny, Al was able to obtain permission from the Harrison estate and separately Namco, the makers of Pac-Man, to finally release his parody. And you can hear it on Weird Al's YouTube channel. You're welcome. Who's this episode about again? Exactly. <laughs> it's now shifted. It's Weird Al. Yeah. He's we not dead. We just track, like but... him a lot. One of these days, I told Jake last time we did a Patreon episode, I was like, I want to do one on Weird Al. But I don't, out. it can't be that in depth. Because I fear as soon as we start talking about him, it's just going to be a giant biography. I'm like, we just need to give the overview. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, and I think I told you, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the Patreon episode, but he who shall not be named also approached me and was like i have never heard of or met literally anybody who has such a wide assortment of facts and tidbits built up about weird al he was like what the fuck and i was like (laughs) dude you don't even know the fucking half of it when's the movie coming out um fuck i'd say pretty soon about that yeah oh my god it's pretty soon but you gotta subscribe to roku which i'm not doing did you see the trailer for it yeah yeah it looked pretty good. Yeah, it I looks was, like I, a parody about, like, they're making fun of Rocket Man. Yeah, well. <laughs> what, I mean, that movie sucked, <laughs> oh, that so. That would be so weird. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they, they were. It looks like movie. he's just parodying biopics of musicians over the years. I never Which, thought of it. Yeah. Of course you would. That's, That's why genius. Daniel Radcliffe is starring it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, they spent so much time and effort on songwriting, but they knew that their songs wouldn't ever be heard. Why? Because of all the screaming girls? Exactly. Oh, okay. yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Like, no one was listening when they were fucking screaming their full heads off. Not to mention the fact that they were becoming bored with touring, as I mentioned in that previous episode. It was no longer about the music. They couldn't do their studio songs justice on stage um, with, you know, the evolving sound of Revolver. So they only played old stuff when they would tour. And then... 
they quit rounding out at about 1,400 total concerts across the globe. Mm -mm. That's fucking ridiculous. That's nearly a concert a day for four years straight. It's unimaginable. And I I thought Avicii had it bad when he did 800-some shows over 10 years. And I'm seriously doubting Kiss's claim as being the hottest band in the world at this point. No. (laughs) (laughs) Never. You were on something when you were on all this, huh? Actually, I I came in. I walked in. I walked in on Jake. Oh my gosh! Uh, I didn't. I didn't know. Were his I, pants off? Ew! I came home. No, I like didn't even the go weird out comment. Oh, so, oh my god, that's when he was writing it. <laughs> no, oh. I, no, I'm pretty sure you must have been reading that. I was going to ask you because I came home and um, Jake was in his room and he was he was talking i just assumed he was like playing video games or something or was like on a headset or like i don't know i couldn't tell what it was i was just ignoring it because he was Mm -hmm. speaking to it seemed like he was speaking to somebody um and then he came out into the kitchen and i was like i started making dinner and he came out in the kitchen and was like you didn't hear any of that and i was like i didn't really (laughs) like what are you talking about and he was like i was practicing reading out loud and i was like yeah that's what you're supposed to fucking do um and then it was probably that part. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. Tell everybody to hold on to their pants. And then yep. you're like, oh, shit, she just heard me saying all this dumb stuff. <laughs> no, I didn't understand anything you were saying. Anyways, um, now that they were free, the Beatles could really let loose in the studio. And they got super experimental for their next work, which was Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. They recorded over 700 hours of tape. Interestingly, they had uh, used fairly primitive technology to record. They only had four tracks, but managed to create dynamic and complex musical pieces. Music critic Jonathan Gould wrote, The overwhelming consensus is that the Beatles had created a popular masterpiece, a rich, sustained, and overflowing work of collaborative genius whose bold ambition and startling originality dramatically enlarged the possibilities and raised the expectations of what the experience of listening to popular music on record could be. On the basis of this perception, Sgt. Pepper became the catalyst for an explosion of mass enthusiasm for an album-formatted rock that would revolutionize both the aesthetics and the economics of the record business in ways that far outstripped the earlier pop explosions triggered by the Elvis phenomenon of 1956 and the Beatlemania phenomenon of 1963. This album was also the first major one in pop and rock to include lyrics. Yes, no lyrics existed before the Beatles. That's true. After the release of Sgt. Pepper's <laughs> Only Hearts Club Band... No. After the official release of Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band on June 1st, 1967, it spent the remainder of the year at number one on the UK charts and returned to top three... Uh, no. Returned to the top February 3rd, 1968, because I guess the hills were no longer alive as it replaced the soundtrack to The Sound of Music. Fuck yeah. That's, <laughs> that movie sucks. Um... <laughs> Another sure. interesting thing about Sgt. Pepper's is that the band assumed an alter ego. So they got to step out as an anti-authoritarian and anti-establishment group. And it allowed them to step away from their Beatles image and the expectations that were tied to them musically. Yeah, the BBC actually banned A Day in the Life because of the phrase, I'd love to turn you on. So With dumb. the BBC claimed it would encourage a permissive attitude toward drug drug taking which that's not what that means whatsoever yeah fucking idiots <laughs> i i, I kind of wonder what they'd say if we went back in time and played some afro man for them oh my god, <laughs> oh god. I, I was gonna ban that song but then we got high <laughs> <laughs> so rolling stone ranked this album the number one greatest of all time in 2003 Ooh, fun fact time again gonna get a bit off track again but also a bit more directly related to john this time so we're going to rewind a couple years to 1965. I think what you mean to say is we're going to rewind the play of five minutes because that fat basis she was talking. I couldn't hear what y'all was saying. Yeah. 
What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> it's from it's the, the, fucking, the Abe Lincoln skit. The Abe Lincoln uh, skit. All right, everybody, pause the show. You said that so fast, I had no idea what you even I just said. I say it all the fucking time now. Like, oh. anytime someone's like, hold on, I'm like, what? Rewind the play five minutes though, because that fat piece of shit was talking. Okay. <laughs> um, it's they, go to it's YouTube, t- type in "whitest kids you know." Abe Lincoln skit. It's I, fucking hilarious. The other day, I meant to send it to the group chat, but I forgot because I got distracted and I had a doctor's appointment. Besides the point, I I love when we get comic books at work because the back ads are so funny to me and they're so like nostalgic. Oh, and there's just like really stupid stuff usually, like. That's interesting. The the no don't do drugs ads and right. stuff like that, yeah, or yeah. how they had the got milk ads. This was on the back of one of them. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> and I meant to send it to the group, but yeah. I got distracted. An ad for it was a whole ad know. about whitest kids you know. I would buy oh, wow. that comic <laughs> just for that, just for the back cover. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. All right. Sorry, Jake. I derailed you from your derailment. Yeah. Okay. Now back on the <laughs> back, back to on the, the fun tracks. fact track again. <laughs> yes. uh, this one's more related to John Lennon. Like I said, we're going to rewind a couple years to 1965. John Lennon. I'm going to do do it again. Uh, John Lennon is 24 years old and is just now getting his driver's license after the other guys had already gotten theirs. Uh, The Beatles are doing phenomenal and as a show of of success and some say to one-up manager Brian Epstein after picking them up in a Bentley, John orders a brand new Rolls-Royce Phantom 5 with every option checked off the list. It was it was all black. Paint, interior, even the wheels. John wanted to have the radiator black too, but Rolls-Royce refused. So so it's really the only bit of chrome on the car except for the bumpers. Hmm. So it's just like triple black car, everything. Uh, weighing in at roughly 6,500 pounds, measuring 5 oh. foot 9 inches tall, Sorry. <laughs> 6 and a half feet wide, 19 feet 10 inches long. It was powered by a 6.23 liter L410 BV8 with right. power output at that time which I can gather, approximately 200 horsepower. Uh, interior amenities included black leather upholstery, cocktail cabinet with fine wood trim, mm. seven-piece his and her luggage set, a portable <laughs> TV. What the fuck? And a refrigeration system in the trunk, they perfect for then? the alcoholic on the go. Yeah, it's why would you put a cocktail Cassie, cabinet? I'm TVs. joking. Oh. <laughs> 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 you put a cocktail cabinet in a car. They didn't have drunk driving rules then. Well, if you're not driving, it, it, what this car is basically a limo. This is how big ah. it is. That's how big the mm. back is. It's basically a limo. I got a big trunk, too. I don't think oh, yeah. you could do it when you're driving anyways, because I think it comes in the back, right? The cocktail cabinet? Yeah, or the, is it, the cocktail cabinet is in so the back of the car. you have to not be driving, right. specifically. I heard you like alcohol, it. so I put alcohol in your car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it was one of the earliest cars equipped with tinted windows, too, which is interesting. Um, it's estimated John paid 11,000 pounds, and according to... Yeah inflationtool.com that's about 192,000 pounds or $237,000 today during some maintenance in December 1965 John came up with a seven page list of modifications totaling an additional 1,900 pounds these included making the back seat convert into a double bed adding a Philips Auto Mignon AG2101 record player which made it possible to play 45s in a car a cassette tape player radio telephone upgraded tv and a pa system with speakers mounted in the front fenders (laughs) so he could talk to people outside of the car no and he would often prank them playing uh, because you could switch the audio from inside the car to the pa speakers and he'd play like train sounds and 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 jets and stuff and just scare people outside the car 
All right. Now, remember how Janice Joplin had her psychedelic Porsche 356 SC? Yeah, it was cool. We put a picture yes. up on the Instagram. Well, after going to Spain to work on the movie How I Won the War, the car needed a new paint job. So he commissioned J.P. Fallon LTD to paint it in a Romany Gypsy style. It was painted yellow, and local artist Steve Weaver added the red, orange, blue, and green swirly graphics and floral side panels, as well as John's astrolog- astrological sign, Libra, on the roof. For John, it was kind of like a big F.U. to British high society because he took this high-dollar British luxury yeah, car. Doesn't and just, the queen get toted around in a Rolls Royce? I, yeah, I do believe she had one of the same models. Not for long. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> um, I want to make the train noise. Do it again. <laughs> He got the car back just before the release of Sgt. Pepper, and it sort of became synonymous with that era of the Beatles, yeah. with all the styling and everything from Sgt. Pepper. Um, it's believed that he had it shipped to New York in 68, and in uh, the 70s, it was lent to other famous artists like Bob Dylan, the Moody Blues, and even the Rolling Stones. Tax problems in the late 70s saw John donate the car to the Cooper he- Hewitt Cooper Hewitt Museum at the Smithsonian Institute for a $250,000 tax break. Cooper Hewitt put the car up for auction in 1985 and sold it to a Canadian businessman, Jim Pattinson, for $2.3 million. Wow. That's about $6.2 million in today's money. That made it the most expensive car in history at the time. From there, it was put on display in several places until it was gifted to the Canadian government in 1987. What? Its current home is the Royal British Columbia Museum located in Victoria, B.C., Canada, and it was on display recently in the museum lobby in early 2020. According to the museum's website, it's such a large car that it's difficult to keep on permanent uh, display. So they seem only to put it out in the lobby during the winter when it's quieter, and sometimes it's loaned out to other museums. Interesting. But there are a couple pictures there. Yeah, I'll have to throw those up on the Instagram as well. It looks cool. Yeah, it is that's definitely uh, a Sergeant Pepper's car. It's fucking huge. Oh, yeah. it's Like I said, it's a limo. And, yeah, that's a picture of him and Julian, actually, mm. standing next to it. Mm. When he paid attention to his kid, for once. Um. Yeah, this is a rare <laughs> photo of him and Julian. Um, okay, so at the same time recording uh, for Sgt. Pepper started, John met Yoko Ono for the first time, and the course of his life was changed. They met in November of 1966 at the Indica Gallery in London. It was Yoko's own art exhibit. So one of the pieces was called Hammer a Nail, where patrons would hammer their own nail into a board. Ah, uh, yes, interactive art. You do the work for her. She's such an artist. That sounds worse than regular art. Yeah. <laughs> the gallery wasn't open yet, and John wanted to be the first person to put a nail in, but Yoko stopped him. The gallery owner told her that she'd better let him do it since he was a millionaire and might buy the piece. Uh, since she wouldn't let him touch that, Lennon ended up taking a bite out of an apple that was also on display. Okay. It, she's, she's a fucking artist and this is her work. A fucking apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Wikipedia, John Lennon had heard this amazing woman was going to be putting on a show and it was going to be a bit of a happening. Lennon described himself as astounded at the apple for sale for 200 quid he says i thought it was fantastic i got her work immediately it was 200 quid to watch the fresh apple decompose the piece also appealed to lennon as he quote didn't have too much knowledge about avant-garde or underground art he says the humor got me straight away lennon took a bite out of the apple on display before apologizing and putting the apple back ono later recalled that Quote, he just grabbed it and bit it and looked at me like, you know, there. I was so furious. I didn't know what to say. And it all showed on my face. How dare this person, you know, mess around with my artwork. Did she create apples? Just get a new fucking apple. 
whatever. <laughs> you know, I think it was payback for a woman causing mankind to fall into sin and darkness. Well, that's very deep of you, Jake. Shut it the is. fuck up. This <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking chick, she starts showing up at Lennon's house, calling him on the phone. Cynthia, Lennon's wife and the mother of his child, is understandably upset by this. She wants an explanation. And John told her that she just wanted money for her avant-garde bullshit, maybe for the bite out of the super expensive apple. Uh, surprise, surprise, that wasn't it. She was trying to bone. But apples don't have bones. Boneless apples. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> in 1967, the band traveled to Bangor, Wales for a seminar by the Maharishi Yogi. We talked about this guy several times. I mean, it was like a big fucking deal. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, then revert to any number of... all. Listen to all the rest of our episodes first, and so we're not going to re-explain <laughs> ourselves. So a cop didn't recognize Cynthia when they were traveling, um, and he would not let her board the plane. And I'm guessing that John didn't do anything to help her get on. So they just left her behind. Yeah. I, I'd say that's messed up. He didn't even try to fight to get her on the plane. Just say, by saying, it's my wife. Believe yeah. me, I'm John Lennon. Kind of suspicious. Stupid. Sounds like he wanted someone else to be where they were going. Yeah. So Cynthia said in later interviews that this event to her symbolized the end of her marriage to John. To make matters much worse, she walked in on John and Yoko in her home after coming back from a vacation in Greece. The two were sitting on the floor in robes, so she left, taking Julian with her and filed for divorce and custody within a few weeks. Good for Cynthia. Queen. Uh, John, in an attempt to feel better about himself, decided to also state his intent for divorce on the grounds that Cynthia had an affair first with hotelier Roberto Bassanini. Cynthia said, I would never fuck somebody named Bassanini. <laughs> um, you really got it vet, guys. Uh, Cynthia said in her book, Lennon, it was laughable. Roberto had been kind and a good friend, but I had never been unfaithful to John. Um, so they ended up settling out of court in 1968, and John gave Cynthia 100,000 pounds and yearly custody payments for Julian. That's a decent amount. Uh, that would be about 1.5 million today. Uh, okay. But now that I think about it, it's probably just chump change to what he was actually earning yeah. at the time. So, yeah, probably. Yeah. But I mean, that's going to set her up for life. Yeah, it'll and set him. her up for a while, and she's still getting payments for Julian. So yeah. who knows how much those were. Yeah, well, so while all of this was going on, John had also upped his LSD usage and nearly erased his identity in 1967, according to author Ian MacDonald. You could say that it had a profound effect on his music, though, as his lyrical artistry and recording techniques heavily departed from the simplicity of the band's earlier works. Like, shit just got way crazier, dude. Circling back to meeting the Maharishi in Wales... While they were on this trip, the Beatles were informed that their beloved manager, Brian Epstein, had died. Yep, he was found dead of an accidental drug overdose. So the band was scared, and they were unsure of how to proceed. Their first project after Epstein's death was a flopped film, The Magical Mystery Tour. So I guess the guys aren't that great at making movies, but the accompanying album was a huge success, including the ever-trippy I Am the Walrus. Fun song. Did I tell you about the time that I watched Across the Universe not going into, like, I had no idea what it was about, but it's basically just a Beatles musical? Yeah. I mean, you didn't tell me about that, but yeah. yeah that's I, just, I was like, oh, that looks like it might be good. And then I watched it, and I was like, all of these are Beatles songs! I thought it was going to be about the Beatles, and then I watched it, and I was like, what the fuck? I no. hate musicals. <laughs> <laughs> but you liked Rocket Man. Uh, I liked it for what it was. It was okay. It was, it was, I don't like musicals. No. 
so that was pretty dumb as soon as the kid started floating down to the bottom of the pool <laughs> and was singing i was like i'm mm-hmm. gonna kill myself um <laughs> In early 1968, the Beatles traveled to India for guidance at the Maharishi's ashram, where they ended up writing most of the material for the Beatles, a.k.a. the White Album. Once back in London, they formed their own multimedia corporation called Apple Corps, <laughs> which included Apple Records and some other companies. The goal was to gain artistic freedom within their own business structure. Uh, Lennon delivered his message of peace with the song Revolution, encouraging pacifism. More fun facts. During their little business venture with Apple Corps, they acquired Danny Dandy Fashions, run by fashion designer John Criddle, who supplied famous rock and rollers such as Jimi Hendrix, Brian Jones, and Roger Daltrey with their signature 60 style. A part of the acquisition included a car that would become known as the Beatles Bentley. It was a 1956 Bentley S1 that Criddle had custom painted in the mid-60s, uh, psychedelic style with purple leather seats and pink carpet. Cool. Yeah. Lennon and Yoko were basically inseparable at this point. He was bringing her with him literally everywhere. She was within like inches of him at all times. And this was obviously creating some tensions within the band as they didn't they already had a rule in place about wives and girlfriends in the studio when they were working. Um, But the problem was not necessarily Yoko. It's his obsession with her combined with constantly tripping um, on acid and then just not agreeing with any of the guys on how the company should be run. Yeah, I mean, boundaries are important. But let me guess, none of them went to him individually and talked about it. They just kind of let the situation run its course and like, yeah, maybe she'll stop showing up. Mm. Who knows? Um, asking me all these questions. Recording the podcast right now. I'll call you after. Did did I tell you I broke up? <gasps> no. He broke up with her out of the blue. Just was like, I don't really, I don't love you. And she was <gasps> like, What the fuck? She's free. <laughs> now get her a fucking good boyfriend. Anyways. <laughs> Um, Get all that, folks? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, there's just a big chunk You could just bleep that... the names. Oh, and my it would God. Be... <laughs> and let everybody figure out like, who it is. They're like, wait, is she talking about me? <laughs> oh, my God. Don't do that. Just uh, <laughs> Lennon... Oh, my God. I already read that. So during the recording of the White Album, the wedge between the Beatles grew. The wedgie was even worse. Um, Ringo quit for two weeks, leading McCartney to record drums from back in the U.S. It's the pants. Just take your pants Jake off. really likes the wedgie jokes. Wedgie. I, I read wedgie right as you said wedge. <laughs> then you said wedgie, and I fucking lost it. Um, right, so... Ringo quit the band for two weeks, leading McCartney to record the drums for Back in the USSR and Dear Prudence. Um, Lennon was growing annoyed with McCartney's musical contributions. He called Obla D Obla Da Granny Music Shit, which is BS. That's a dope song. Uh, I mean, McCart- technically, it's Granny Music now. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, wow. he, had this, like, he had this fun little um, vaudeville type style, like whimsical yeah. carnival type sounds that he would put into different songs that i thought was really cool uh, mccartney recalled that the white album was not a pleasant one to make both he and lennon saw this as the beginning of the beatles breaking up so they started recording their tracks separately which lends to the album sounding like it was recorded by four solo artists rather than a band because it pretty much was yeah 
Um, so as mentioned, Apple Corps was struggling with leadership. Around the recording of the Let It Be Abbey Road sessions, Alan Klein approached Lennon, and in early 1969, he Boo. was... Boo. Uh, in early 1969, he was appointed Apple's chief executive by Lennon, Harrison, and Starr. McCartney, my boy, never signed the contract. Smartest McMotherfucking Cartney out there. Um, McCartney <laughs> wanted his wife's father and brother to be in charge, so they were appointed... So they were appointed as the lawyers instead for a short time. If you're new to the show, you'll hear about Alan Klein across many episodes of people we've covered from this era. Uh, he's the snake that managed the likes of Sam Cooke and the Rolling Stones, amongst others. Yeah, he was involved in the Bobby Fuller story mm -hmm. and um, uh, Pete Ham. Yeah, he oh, would yeah, have been because they, they, was, they were part of they were, they were they signed, signed by Apple. To Apple. Yeah. yeah, so he mm -hmm. pops up. He pops I th up. He, a lot. I think he was like the probably the whole problem that they're. Yeah, he's the reason why Ham yeah. killed himself. Yeah, we that's could, on the Twenty Seven Club season. So subscribe to Patreon. It's five dollars. We could probably make an entire episode about Alan Klein, but it'd be just like an hour of us talking shit. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I mean, this guy really fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is all depicted in Peter Jackson's recent documentary cut of Let It Be. The footage for that. This is the thing that just came out on Disney Plus last year. Um, so the footage for that was initially shot in 1969. Uh, it was intended for a one-hour TV show called Beatles at Work, and it was captured by director Michael Lindsay Hogg. Uh, the, filming, the filming captured much of the tension between the band members on film. It was the lowest point for the band, but honestly, the best part of their story to be a fly on the wall for. So the goal was to shoot the TV special and, it, and then end all of that with a new album and a live performance. Harrison didn't want any part of a live performance and was being he was being overshadowed and ignored during the songwriting process by mccartney and lennon that led him to walk out for five days threatening to quit the band again yeah well no that was that was ringo before oh, he true. left and then oh, this okay. time oh i mean you could just see the tension back and forth back and forth yeah. and him just getting totally like he would he'd be like well i think maybe what if we do this and they would look at him and then they would look at each other and they're like so anyways back to what i was saying like it was so fucking rude I just wonder how it makes Paul McCartney feel like when he I sees like that. an asshole. Yeah. Oh, did I really do he that? He really, I mean, I love Paul McCartney, but he really looked like an asshole. And it's not <laughs> that he was trying to be rude or a dick. He just wasn't trying not to be. He's like, well, that's cool, but like my idea is better. And it, his ideas were good. So yeah. it's like, I got to give him that. Like he I knows mean, he's, what he's still touring. So. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, fucking George Harrison's not dead ass bitch. Just kidding. Oh, I didn't know he wow. died. He's wow. dead. Yeah, he had cancer. He died in like 2005, I want to say. Oh. Ringo and, Ringo and Paul are the only ones. Oh. Yeah, so we'll, we will have to do George Harrison here soon because his, his story is super interesting, especially after the Beatles. But anyways, so he walked out. He didn't want any sort of live performance. Um, they were ignoring him, whatever. And during this footage, Lennon can also be seen with Yoko just fucking Velcroed to his hip the entire time. And this is in the studio. Um, he was showing up super late and just generally being fucking weird. It was probably the drugs, yeah? Yeah, for sure. He's definitely fucked up the entire time. Yeah. Uh, funny you mentioned Velcro. Did you know Velcro IP Holdings LLC is a British company? Oh my God. <sighs> it was founded by Swiss electrical engineer George de Mestrel in the 50s, the inventor of the hook and loop fastener known as Velcro. This is why this thing is 14 pages long. <laughs> the, he said, oh, you need me to add comments? I, I got you. I'll I, tell you about the creator yes. of Velcro. What yeah. I literally said yesterday, let me go through and add some comments. Yeah, so. you didn't have what? to add that because that was not <laughs> Actually, there yesterday. I did yesterday. that before, so -uh. it was already in there. 
well. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. Maybe so, I did. I don't I'm gonna remember. I'm going to give you one more chance. The group was able to coax Harrison back by moving the sessions to Apple Studios and inviting Billy Preston to session on to the sessions on keys. All right, here we go. Billy Preston was a top session keyboard player in the 60s, working with Sam Cooke, Ray Charles, and Little Richard, to name a few. Yeah. He's the only non-Beatle to be credited on a Beatles song, which was Get Back, and that if you listen to the song it's right about in the middle of the song you hear that sweet keyboard solo yeah, that's, that's him. him he's he's really good yeah. and he definitely helped like with the tension and in the studio it was good for them to have a fifth person um so the group couldn't agree on a place to host the performance that they were promising to do but finally agreed on the rooftop uh for apple Corps, and that performance took place on january 30th of 1969 mm-hmm in March of 1969, John and Yoko were married. Shortly thereafter, releasing a set of lithographs featuring John Lennon with his dick out. Woo! We finally got there. It was basically <laughs> just a bunch of scenes from their honeymoon. It was like drawings, basically. Um, including him munching on the beeve and dunking the dipstick. Uh, fun stuff. That'll <laughs> forever be in my browser history now. Uh, did What's-Her-Name ever get a <laughs> plaster cast of up? it? <laughs> <laughs> Cynthia! Yeah. Cynthia just passed. You she did. Yeah, we just uh, Cynthia Plastercaster um, passed away. Somebody sent us that story, but we already talked about her um, on the mini episode. So I, I like, sent it to you and said she just passed away. Yeah. And you're like, well, let's share it again. Oh, yeah, that, that episode. Oh, and I never fucking did it. Anyways. Anyway, um, John um, Lennon. What I did say was John Lennon and Yoko Onoli fans. <laughs> Thank you for your contributions to the show as well, Cassie. Um, let He's, me pull up one of these for you. Like, uh, what the fuck? Cassie thinks it's funny. Like, it is funny. He looks like a coconut from here. <laughs> like, all the oh, hair runs together. Why are you? I, don't, I thought it was just, the cover of that one album full they put bush. Out. Um, These are the lithographs. They were pretty explicit, and the ones that were like super bad were banned and confiscated. So John was venturing further and further from the Beatles and released three experimental albums with Ono between 68 and 69, leading to the formation of the Plastic Ono Band. Lennon was the first to release any solo Beatle music. Um, they released some notable songs like Give Peace a Chance, Instant Karma, and Cold Turkey, which allegedly described his withdrawal symptoms after heroin. Though according to Lennon's personal assistant, Fred Seaman, the... <laughs> get it out. I mean, get it out. Uh, anyway, take your pants <laughs> off. <laughs> Why is this becoming an episode about dicks? Um, it's so not. Th- this song it's about was... pants. Uh, right, right, right. Um, cold turkey was actually about a case of horrible food poisoning that the pair got after literally eating leftover turkey. But that was too embarrassing to tell the real world. So Lennon came up with the edgier heroin explanation instead. What about Happy Christmas War is Over, you ask, Alex? Because um, I know you love Christmas music so much. I specifically did not put that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how dare she? Um, so that was released in 1971 as a single by John and Yoko Plastic Ono Band with the Harlem Community Choir and was a protest against the Vietnam War. Did not know that. You're welcome. <laughs> it's also covered by millions of people now because that song is old. Oh, You're welcome. Okay. That's a fact. <laughs> the final studio recording of the Beatles was I Want You, She's So Heavy, on August 20th, 1969, the last time that the four were ever in the same studio. They did meet that September sans Ringo Starr. He was in the hospital, and this was to discuss a final album. 
ending the Lennon-McCartney songwriting credits and instead contributing four songs apiece and two from Star. The next month, Lennon quit the band but kept it from the press so that the final album, Abbey Road, would still sell. Honestly, if he would have said it, they would have still sold at records. So. I know, yeah. it's like, They probably would have sold more. Yeah, like, probably. They're never going to have the Beatles, Beatles album Beatles ever again. Exactly. I don't know. It's super weird. So Alan Klein did not like the work that producer Glenn Johns did on the album. Because um, basically, like, they recorded it and then they were done with it. And so he was like, cool. They just told him, like, do what you want with this. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. Because um, they were so far done. So he just, he did his all of his like producing and stuff and then um alan klein didn't like it so he gave it to phil Spector, who used his wall of sound approach to fill out mccartney's the long and winding road now we addressed this on our last series which was phil Spector. so go listen to that if yeah, you are mccartney hated it yeah yeah <laughs> fuck that so mccartney announced that um he yeah he was pissed off about that whole mix thing um and announced that he was quitting on April 10th of 1970 and dropped his self-titled solo album the next week. Lennon <laughs> said, Jesus Christ, he gets all the credit for it. I started the band and I disbanded it. It's as simple as that. I was no, I was a fool to not do what Paul did, which was use it to sell a record. Lennon's remarks for Paul didn't end there, saying to Rolling Stone that he and the others got fed up with being sidemen for Paul. After Epstein died, we collapsed. Paul took over and supposedly led us. But what is leading us when we went round in circles? They were already tired of touring. What was Paul left to do? Not take them on more tours? It sounds like Lennon was more bitter that he didn't think of releasing the album yeah, sooner. I mean, it's stupid because they were directionless. And Paul McCartney wanted to play music. He wanted to yeah. be in a fucking band. And, like, these guys didn't want to do it anymore. So he was like, cool, well, like, I'll, I'll take over. Like, I'll be the guy. And he really was the one who was showing up on time, putting in the work, bringing right. songs, building ideas. He was doing all of that. And the rest of them were, I mean, Ringo just kind of sat back and worked with whatever they gave him. Well, Harrison George, wanted to write, but yeah, they wouldn't let him. George was trying. He was showing up on time. He was doing stuff, but he didn't like his ideas. Yeah. And then John was just being a fucking idiot the whole time, <laughs> not helping like at all. And yeah, Paul had to take over and help out because nobody was stepping up to do it. So Lennon's getting really virtue signally at this time. What does that mean? Like, you know how when you <laughs> I people, Googled it, but people I was like, who what like make it, so, they're like, this is an issue that I really care about. But like, are you actually making a difference? No, shut the fuck up. Like okay. they're, they're basically pushing all of these like social or political issues and stuff because it makes them look better or it makes them seem like they're a caring person that gives a fuck. Okay. But they're not actually doing anything. Yeah. They're just like, hey, this is a good idea. I support this. And then. Yeah, they're like very vocal about these like specific beliefs. So that is what he's doing. Okay. Um, so he returned his medal from the most excellent order of the British Empire to the Queen. This is an action that he said was in protest of the British involvement in the Nigerian Civil War and Britain's support of the U.S. in the Vietnam War. Like. But that's all he did. You didn't fucking do anything, though. Like, you didn't actually help. You were just like, I have a, I fucking support a cause. I'm returning my medal. Like, okay, well, that didn't do anything. Well, like, did he donate money to anything? Uh, he returned his medal. I don't know. Fucking, so, it's just. Melt this down and make armor. Signaling. You're just like, look at me. I care about things. And it's annoying. You that, know, people That's like those people that went and, and uh, destroyed all that vo Russian vodka and shit. When yeah. Russia invaded Ukraine. It's like, you're, that stuff's already paid for. It's, They've already got the money. Anything. You're doing absolutely yeah, nothing. Like, this is something that I don't know 
if somebody could please explain to me why if every fucking like I went to a brewery the other day and they had Ukrainian flags hanging up and it's like cool I don't know you're not fucking doing anything like unless you purchase those maybe from a Ukrainian vendor I just don't understand it people are like flying Ukrainian flags outside of their house like yeah duh of course we fucking don't like Russia like of course why are you putting a flag up you're not doing anything you're not fucking helping. It's just weird to me. I don't know. Paul McCartney was doing this shit. He went to at one of his shows. He just started his get back tour and like opened it up with he he flew, you know, he's walking around stage with a big um, UK flag and then he comes and he's got an American flag and then he goes out and he flies a Ukrainian flag and everyone's like, woo. I'm like, what? Is it not obvious that we support Ukraine? They were fucking. I don't know. It's just weird to me. You hear that, Russia? I don't know. Victoria. Putin can't hear you. He's going. Victoria, did I tell you about this? Victoria asked me, too. She was like, hey, you know, they have this option on the thing that I use to make your website where you can block Russian IP addresses. And I looked at our numbers and I was like, literally nobody in Russia listens to us anyway. So, like, it wouldn't be doing anything. I was like, that's just a. It's a virtue signaling thing. It'll put a thing on your website that says, we don't fucking blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not doing anything. We're not helping the people of Ukraine by not letting the two people oh. who have ever listened to us in Russia find our podcast. We're helping Russia. You're welcome, Russia. Fuck you. Anyways. <laughs> I feel like the content would be blocked by their government anyway. Yeah. Like, what's the <laughs> fucking... It's not doing anything. So he's very much like this, which okay. is probably one of the things I knew about John Lennon before this, that I was just like, God, you're so fucking annoying. Like, shut up. He's just... All he does is talk. Um, anyways... <laughs> Like, says the person who never shuts the fuck up. <laughs> I see the irony. You guys didn't even have to point it out. Uh, we were just silent like usual. <laughs> <laughs> so Lennon released his own solo album in 1970, which got deeply personal, but it didn't really perform all commercially. And here are your no! sources. No! Put them Wikipedia. in the end, Alex. <laughs> it happened here. These are our sources for today. Uh, it happened here. John Lennon, season one, episode seven. This was a Reels documentary. Archive.nerdist.com article. This was posted by Matt Grossinger. Rolling Stone, John Lennon's Phantom Five, the story of the psychedelic Beetle Mobile, Mobile by Jordan Runtag. BeatlesBentley.com, LATimes.com, John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Deportation Battle by John Wiener, <laughs> UltimateClassicRock.com, New York Post, there was one at TheNation.com, Ballad, I don't know, what the, oh, oh, right, John and uh, J.D. Salinger, um, the Bible is a source? Yes, Gross. I sourced the Bible. That's the first time we've Only ever Only to prove that. a point. Oh, okay, and FarOutMagazine.com. <laughs> I'm <right>. interested for <laughs> this point. All right, yeah. back to the show. Yeah, it, it's like, it's to make a specific thing and then it all comes crumbling down. Okay, so at this point, the Beatles, they're kaput. And Lennon and Odo are soaking up the spotlight, you know, because everyone blames her as the reason that the band is no longer together. Mm -hmm. So they both are interviewed in 1970 on the Dick Cavett show and believe me, those comments were addressed and then some. Lennon told Cavett if she, Yoko, took them, the Beatles, apart, then we could at least give her all the credit for the nice music George made, Ringo made, and Paul made, and I've made since they broke up. Hmm. He's also referring to Beatles in past tense, which is weird. <sighs> I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> so Cabot continues by asking Yono about being the lucky one to have married one of the four. Her response is, I resent just thinking of him as one of the four, you know, or any one of the four, because I just met him as another artist, and I didn't particularly realize that part of it, really. Um, most viewers of the show took this as Yona's lack of affection to the Beatles in general, because, you know, it's always a woman's fault when the band breaks up. I concur. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> However, Lennon revealed that she didn't or she wasn't even a fan of the band before he and Yoko met. 
He said she didn't even know about any of us. The only name she knew was Ringo because it means apple in Japanese. That's cute. <laughs> Lennon continued, anyway, she didn't split the Beatles because how could one girl or woman split the Beatles? They were drifting apart on their own. That's a very good point. I mean, she certainly didn't help, and that no. doesn't mean that she doesn't still suck. Right. A little bit. <laughs> so you may or may not have seen this interview on your own before. However, you'd know the seating arrangement due to the 1994 classic Academy Award-winning film Forrest Gump, where Forrest is talking about playing ping pong in China while Lennon continues about people with no possessions. The whole scene basically has green-screened Forrest into where y- oh, Yoko was sitting and changed all the dialogue and insinuated that Forrest was actually the inspiration behind John Lennon's Imagine. I I have to go back and watch that movie because that scene totally went over my head back in the day. Huh. Like really? I went back and watched it after I read this part, and I'm like, "Oh shit, that's yeah. pretty funny." It is funny. The, <laughs> the whole way they movie did it. is funny. Yeah, I forget that movie's a kind of a comedy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love <laughs> that movie. I so don't much. even remember what. I'm sorry. Uh, in 1970, the most I know about that is from the Weird Al song "Forrest Gump," which I'm surprised you didn't fucking put in here, Jake. <laughs> well, um, it's it's about the Beatles. It's not about Forrest Gump. I have mentioned that Forrest Gump song before, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, in 1971, uh, John Lennon dropped a more accessible record record called Imagine. Rolling Stone said that it had some good tunes on it, but Lennon's political posturings, quote, will soon seem not merely dull, but irrelevant. The song Imagine is still a theme for anti-war movements today. (laughs) I can think of one at least. He also addressed his previous treatment of women on the track, Jealous Guy. Do you remember during COVID when the celebrities sang Imagine? (laughs) Yeah, they all got together. That's virtue signaling. They all got together, all these fucking rich people in their (laughs) mansions, and sang a song together and were like, we're fucking COVID. We're all in this together. Shut the fuck up, You have millions of dollars. Give me some. I only have one more bottle of whiskey left, and then I'm fucked. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the Imagine album <laughs> included the track How Do You Sleep, which Lennon wrote in af- in the aftermath of Paul McCartney's successful lawsuit. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about the lawsuit. Okay, so this ruling had followed the publication of Lennon's defamatory remarks about the Beatles in a December 1970 interview with Rolling Stone magazine. McCartney and his wife Linda taking full-page advertisement in the music press in which was an act of mockery towards Lennon and Yoko Ono. They were shown wearing clown costumes and wrapped in a bag. <laughs> Weird. That does yeah. not even look like them. No. I mean, that looks like Paul. Sort well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also looks like a big clown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little more in the lawsuit you mentioned. Uh, remember how we said they had brought Alan Klein into the picture, but McCartney wasn't uh, was not on board. See. Uh, well, he just uh, he McCartney yeah. decided to sue the band, and not for the reasons you might think. And he got blamed also for the Beatles breakup, among you know, amongst all the other reasons why they broke up. Sure. Uh, but he actually saved their work. Klein was snaking his way in like he did with Sam Cooke and likely would have ended up owning everything the Beatles did had McCartney not sued. Mm -hmm. The London High Court ruled in favor of McCartney preventing Klein from taking ownership and saving the group's work and Apple Corps, uh, which is actually still owned by Paul and Ringo and the Lennon and Harrison estates today. Uh, Sam Cooke was not so lucky. As of 2019, his family has not received any royalties from his music. Everything Jeez. goes to Klein's corporation. So you know so Klein was doing that same shit. Yeah. McCartney stepped in and stopped him. Yeah, even Even smart. for all the shit that he got for suing the band, he had to do it. So smart. And like this, this whole time, like during this whole meeting thing with Alan Klein, it was something that John Lennon kind of 
spearheaded and he was right. a big he was a big proponent of it he was like this dude's really big in america like whatever but he was fucked up on lsd you know like he he would be like oh it's just billion tunes whatever we got a million more songs where those come from you know you can't own music and then paul mccartney you know because he's actually got a brain in there is like <laughs> yes you can own music and we do own our music and this could be very bad business wise but john doesn't right. give a fuck about what's actually happening in the real world because he's high he's fucked well, up that, right. i don't he, think he's thinking of long term it's no, like short term was yeah 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 he's not Lennon, thinking of no. what's right and wrong he's like well everything is abstract and blah 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 if you really time shut isn't the fuck real up. we Ugh. won't be here much longer yeah so like i don't <laughs> own you can't own music what is music if not just a fucking idea like right. god i can just imagine how infuriating it would be having a business conversation with this dude <laughs> probably why he showed up late <laughs> yeah george harrison hosted the concert for bangladesh in august of 1971 at which john and yoko intended to perform Harrison refused to let Yoko participate, which I think is funny. Um, that caused her and John to fight and then pull out of the concert. So then the two moved to New York and dove headfirst into the United States radical left politics, leading President Nixon on a four-year attempt to deport them. And um, he was denied permanent residency in the U.S. after that. Uh, John and Yoko had been in New York for about a year and had been attending anti-war rallies, performing Give Peace a Chance, and telling their fans the best way to do that would be voting against Nixon. Of course, Nixon was up for re-election, and he wouldn't be having any of that, so the White House ordered him to be deported on the basis that he had pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of uh, possessing weed in London in 1968. At that time, immigration law banned anyone with a drug-related conviction from entering the country. Unlike most immigrants, John and Yoko had star power. Celebrities and the cultural elite organized a campaign to petition the uh, Immigration and Naturalization Service, but it fell on deaf ears as Nixon continued trying to kick Lennon out, even after his re-election. Eventually, most of you may know that Nixon resigned from office after, after the Watergate scandal and John and Yoko won their battle. Uh, his previous conviction in London didn't hold up here in the States with the court saying, quote, we have always found a place for those committed to the spirit of liberty and willing to help implement it. Lenin's four-year battle to remain in our country is testimony to this faith in the American dream. The Watergate scandal was also in Forrest Gump. I know, I was going to say, what is <laughs> this? That's why you're dancing over there. <laughs> I know, it's Cassie. I was like, wait, 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 wait. He's the one that found out. He saw the flashlights and called the cops. I was trying to think of <laughs> what it was. It's and I was, like, I was like, there's something else that Watergate's in. Is it, Gump. is it why does kids you know it's something we've talked about no. and it was yeah it's when he drinks all the dr peppers <laughs> and then is looking for the bathroom <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was funny okay so critics and fans alike seemed to hate lennon's next album sometime in new york city this one featured woman is the n-word of the world um and this like he did not censor himself there as i just did but i i saw that before even getting to this in the research and i was like what the fuck it's like some video that popped up on my facebook or something so i sent it to cassie and jake and it was just shocking i don't remember you doing this i i watched it when you actually sent it okay because i was like maybe my text <laughs> message didn't go through because we never actually had How a conversation long ago? No, I, I got it a couple weeks ago it was just it was weird and he's like trying to justify he's like you know i've heard from yoko and blah 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 like how it is for women here and you know woman woman is the n-word of the world and he just kept saying it over and over and over and over and over again yeah. on this thing and i was like dude it's something... i don't know it's so it's just shocking to watch in this day and age did he mean it in the sense that 
they were also discriminated against. Yeah, that, yeah. that was the whole okay. point of the video. That was like but that just the, it, being the tagline seems a little. Well, he's trying to be shocking and, and provocative and stuff, and I get it. But you you have just, to watch the video yeah. with the context. Yeah, if you watch context, the whole, that's... yeah, if you watch the whole interview, <laughs> the guy's the interviewing him. He's on. he's a, he explains himself, and it makes sense. I saw what they were getting at. Yeah, you no, know, I women, get it. You know, they, they they come over to America and they see how black people are being treated in the '60s, and then it's like women are even a step below that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get what I'm saying. So that's why he made that kind of comparison. Yeah, it was just crazy to watch this interview because, yeah. like, the shit that they could say on TV. Like, I was well, just like, oh, my God. If, mm-hmm. if you paid, who was it, Dick Cavett? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, he, he comes in and he's like, hey, this is what's going on. This is why we're saying this. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you really have to pay attention to the context yeah. of the video. And, and that's, you know, he explains why they're doing it. And it, it's just the so songs, different. It, it's it so is different weird. today to, like see an interview like that with this white dude who just keeps fucking dropping it and i was like dude oh my god like this is things are so different now so sure enough john and yoko were on the outs too after nixon won the 1972 election john and yoko went on a post-election wake at activist jerry rubin's house upset about the loss lennon got fucked up and ended up sleeping with the woman who was at the party while yoko was also at the party that's ballsy it's balls deep that's for sure wow. in 1973 the pair decided to separate good spending 18 months apart lennon referred to this time as his lost weekend 18 months yeah splitting <laughs> some time between la and new york city with a new companion may pang now may had been a receptionist working for alan klein and was hired on as a personal assistant for both john and yoko three years prior so she'd been working for the couple apparently yoko had told may that she and john were on the rocks and then actually encouraged her to sleep with john was this a setup by yoko to see if john would actually cheat or was she just over him at that point it's like you can have him i think that they were pretty uh open i don't know she saw she told may she was like hey i think that john likes you you should sleep with them and may's like that's your fucking husband dude like this is weird and yeah. she, they were just weird they were a weird couple and so she was like um should i like what do you mean that are you gonna like claw my eyes out if i say yes right. like what do you say in that situation um no thank you can we pause right there because i have to pee really bad okay thank you sorry i'm reading these comments on this dude's post where he was like there were actually girls at a black metal show <laughs> <laughs> and somebody commented and said, you're a fucking sellout. Um, somebody else said, women come out only for the pulled pork. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's sexual or not. <laughs> um, How's the pork somebody, being pulled? Somebody just said, fake news. Another person said, girls, I'll just avoid contact. <laughs> um, cross your arms and look mad, bro. And... Um, Somebody said, Cap, there weren't any fans there. Uh, <laughs> pictures or it didn't happen, and tell them to stay in their lane. And something tells me that guy wasn't joking. Um, I not. think he seriously was like, no girls allowed at a black metal show. <laughs> okay, so yeah. May encouraged... Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Yeah, that yeah. Was so Yoko encouraged May to have a relationship with John. <laughs> right. And May was... She seems fucking awesome. She was like really supportive, really sweet, really fucking just a kind person. Uh, may encouraged John to have a relationship with his son Julian. Sorry, you're good. 
Stop. Oh my god. <laughs> I was trying to get it situated under my legs just right, but it like keeps sliding. We'll have that new desk in here hopefully next time we record. Yeah. We'll see. Um so May encouraged John a to table? have a re- Yeah. Table. Table. Oh my god. For the fifth time. May encouraged John. <laughs> 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 I just need a clean cut of this. May encouraged John to have a relationship with his son Julian, who he hadn't seen for two years. Uh, during this time, he also reconnected with Star, McCartney, Mal Evans, and Harry Nilsson. He puts the lime in the coconut and oh drinks it all up. And remember, wait, is that him? That is him, isn't it? Yeah. Doesn't he also do, oh, I'm thinking of Harry Chapin. Damn, I've had the wrong fucking Harry in my head this entire time. I'm thinking of the guy who wrote Cats in the Cradle. Not. Not him. All right. Not Nilsson. And uh, remember how John's now a changed, reformed, non-violent guy. No. Yeah, he's not. Uh, <laughs> while getting drunk with Harry, John misunderstood something that May said, and he decided that he should strangle her. <sighs> Nielsen had to physically restrain John to get him to stop. Uh, it really seems like he's an angry drunk more than anything. Yeah, it's probably a good thing he got on fucking LSD. <laughs> stop drinking so goddamn much. Yeah. Uh, still, May stayed with John. Don't do it. Don't do <laughs> that it, ladies. the biggest. Uh, he, he tried to strangle me once, but it's... No, it's not fine. Leave him. First sign of disrespect. Get out of that shit. True. Uh, Still, yeah, she stayed with him while Yoko isolated him from his friends and family. May, however, encouraged him to invest in his relationships. They set up a room for Julian to come and stay at their place, and John began refusing to take Ono's calls. Like, this is, she was like a drug to him, and he's now being weaned off and, like, starting Mm. to make Ah, healthy decisions. Interesting. Yes. So Yoko finally got through in 1975. She was just saying whatever the fuck she could to get his attention. Mm. She claimed to have a cure for smoking. That caught his attention, so John met with her. He didn't come home to May that evening, and Ono told her that Lennon was out. He was at a hypnotherapy session, so he couldn't be reached. A few days later, May saw him at the dentist. A British guy at the dentist? That is a good fucking point. Uh, He appeared confused, clearly, because he didn't know where he was. Right. Uh, And May was convinced that he was brainwashed. It was the nitrous oxide. There you go. He was... um, he was being brainwashed, you know, he had, it was like a relapse. This is straight up, his addiction to Yoko is like a fucking drug addiction. He had one night with her, fucking mm. relapsed, got rid of all of these good habits that he had just built. He was learning, he was doing better, and he fucking told May that he was no longer separated from Yoko, but that she could still be his mistress. Seems like a solid idea. Jake, shut <laughs> Did she also have a dentist appointment the same day? Like, how do you just run yeah, into somebody a, casually at the dentist? No, they had like a joint because they were they were together. They were dating, so they had like a joint dentist appointment. <laughs> and he showed I've up never. to the appointment. I know I've never heard usually of that Daniel's is like a week after mine because <laughs> hmm. he doesn't want to see you. No, it's be- oh. well, could be. <laughs> I don't know. We only okay. live together. Circling back on Lennon's career during the Pang and Yoko Lost Weekend, because that was all just about his relationships for that period of time. Got to talk about its job. So Lennon spent some time during all of that working with Ringo Starr on his album Ringo in 1973, which saw Harrison, Starr, and Lennon all reunite. This was the first and last time that this happened between the break of the breakup of the Beatles and John's death. Lennon was drinking heavily. He was making headlines. Once was for sticking a used pad, and I'm talking like period blood. Sure. Uh, on his forehead at the troubadour. Feminism. Uh, where did he get the pad from? 
He probably just asked someone in the audience. Honestly. There you go. Or, just toss it it's up. It's not my bra, but it'll do, right? Gross. <laughs> and another time he got kicked out of the Troubadour for heckling a folk comedy group with Harry Nilsson. Um, so both of them were booted. <laughs> what is she doing? She's crawling into the back of the closet there. Cassie is. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> we're in the middle of recording a podcast. Cassie, really, Cassie. It's really fun. <laughs> get out of the closet. <laughs> All right, so Lennon worked on Nilsson's album Pussycats and also produced a Mick Jagger tune, and he had a pretty huge song with Elton John called Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Now, this was the only solo Lennon single to hit the top of the Billboard charts during his life. Elton and Lennon uh, appeared on stage to perform this tune at a f- uh, and a few more at Madison Square Garden in late 1974. And then there's another notable work from this time period that was co-written with David Bowie, his first number one song, Fame. That's a great song. It's pretty good. Um, once reunited with John Yoko Feldpreg or not, much <laughs> like Cassie. She, she had uh, really sadly previously suffered through three miscarriages and was leaning towards having an abortion i'm wondering if it was possibly to just spare herself the trauma of a miscarriage um and yoko she ended up changing her mind she decided to go on with the pregnancy but only if john would be the main caregiver aka her house husband Mm -hmm. so the two welcomed their son sean on october 9th 1975 which happened to be john lennon's 35th birthday so sean was treated much differently than julian who had been an unplanned pregnancy he julian was born at the height of Beatlemania. he was just largely ignored but lennon took a hiatus from music to be with sean saying he didn't come out of my belly but by god i made his bones because i've attended to every meal and to how he sleeps and to the fact that he swims like a fish I mean, at this point, Lennon's whole perspective changed because he didn't want to be in that Beatlemania phase yeah. anymore. So, of course, his priorities would have shifted. But poor Julian, like the neglect that he had seen yeah, way earlier. And he's probably looking at this like, wow, how come he wants to drop everything for this yeah, kid? Yeah, I mean, imagine what that does for you psychologically as a child to see it's not that your parent didn't want kids. They didn't want you. Right. And at that's all. so fucked up. So Correct. poor, poor Julian. I mean, it's great for Sean that he had, I mean, had a great relationship with his dad, had this father figure that did everything for him. He probably learned a lot and how to be like a caring and gentle person from his dad. But um, just, be- just because his dad was literally the person caring for him, everything he needed, he was there. He was like, just really sweet with him. Mm-hmm. And to have that person as your father figure versus somebody who actively tells fucking reporters the entire world that he didn't want you. Right. Like their experiences had to be so different. Did uh do we know because uh, you know he he sparked up his relationship with Julian again. Do we know if that I continued don't, through I don't this know period? That it really did continue too much further. Um, it didn't seem like he was just staying where May was because yeah. they made the room for him, but I'm sure that Once the mom back with custody. Yoko, I think he went fully back with Yoko and mm. went back to exactly how he was. I and at that point Julian was a teenager and I pretty sure they were living in different fucking continents you know so i don't think that right. he really you know he came and stayed with him when he was in new york yeah but. i didn't think to look up if if uh, i saw like a brief interview with julian and uh cynthia where they were talking about you know do you remember doing this with your dad and it was like it was later stuff like it was like his brother was there and they're on vacation doing stuff so i don't know how yeah. well their their relationship was towards the end I I still don't know that it was too great. Like they had hadn't spoken for two years, like hadn't yeah. seen each other, and then when he was in New York, I don't know. I don't imagine it, it 
can be it's something that can be repaired just by taking a trip to seeing each other and like, no no i just I, I mean i'm saying that's just like one time but i it, yeah. it should it could have been multiple times i just i didn't i don't yeah. know well Anyways. he was paying a whole lot of attention to sean um, and he, he was waking up at 6 a.m. He was baking bread, cooking meals, spending time with the baby. Lennon said in 1977, we've basically decided without any great decision to be with our baby as much as we can until we can until we feel we can take time off to indulge in ourselves in creating things outside the family. So Lennon broke his hiatus in October of 1980 with the song Just Like Starting Over, releasing an album with Yoko the following month. He was once more inspired to write, feeling fulfilled in stable family life. But less than a month later, this life would be taken from him by a fan ma- named Mark David Chapman. Chapman approached Lennon to autograph his album Double Fantasy on December 8th of 1980. It was around 5 p.m. and the couple were leaving the Dakota, which is an apartment building in front of Central Park. It's in New York City. Um, So Lennon was on his way to record, returning to the apartment around 11 p.m. As Lennon and Yoko made their way into the building, Chapman approached and shot Lennon twice in the back and twice in the shoulder. Police rushed him to the Roosevelt Hospital, where he was declared dead 15 minutes later, murdered in cold blood, seemingly out of the blue. But... It was not random at all. Chapman had been planning the murder for months. So Mark David Chapman, he was from Honolulu, Hawaii. He was a former security guard with a clean record, and he was a huge fan of the Beatles. He was also deeply affected by author J.D. Salinger's book, The Catcher in the Rye, identifying personally with the protagonist, Holden Caulfield. I tried to read that book. It's boring as hell. I I didn't finish it. Never. It's so boring. to read it. It's just a complaining, whining, like, 17-year-old kid that just, like, hates his life. But, like, it could be much worse. It sounds... Yeah. (laughs) I I remember they made us read that in high school. I don't know if I ever finished it, but... (laughs) Yeah, I certainly wasn't paying attention to it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I I skated by without doing a lot of this reading that we were supposed to do in in high school i don't know how i think it's because i was in like honors english classes and so they were like oh, a lot of we're the- gonna read more deep shit we're going off the fucking beaten path and i still have no idea what we read <laughs> but it wasn't any of that it wasn't like wasn't there something about rats or mice mice and of men? mice of men yeah <laughs> never read that um, any of that, that like standard good. we read Scarlet Letter that's the only one that, that I can think too. of that was like that's the only one I can think of that was like required reading yeah I had a teacher that made that one fun but I mean Of Mice and Men is good but it is a good book the else. movie was good too but I, that's, I that's the audio book is read about. by Gary Sinise who plays Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump <laughs> oh my god Cassie <laughs> you're turning into Drake um, okay anyway. so Yes, he identified personally with the protagonist, who Cassie thinks is a whiny, wimpy, kitty baby whiner. That's he from is. that's from Bruce Almighty. Um, this character exhibited <laughs> rage against phonies. The other doesn't Phil Spector was also calling everyone yeah phonies. losers and phonies. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, okay. This character exhibited rage against phonies and hypocritical adults. Chapman looked at Lennon, in particular his more popular than Jesus remark, and felt that he must have been a hypocrite because Lennon had previously stated in Song Lyrics for God that he doesn't even believe in Jesus. How can you be bigger than something you don't believe in? It's all ideas, man. Not to mention the famous Imagine No Possessions line, and here he is living in the fucking Dakota and leading this lavish lifestyle. $250,000 car. Um, So, of course, 
it had become Chapman's duty to take Lennon out for being such a phony. Riddle me this. <clears throat> so if you're so Christian, what about the whole only God can judge me argument? You know, when it's like, oh, when you're dead, you get to go face final judgment against God. Right. That's- let him handle it. Why would someone feel the need to take another person's life on behalf of God himself? Didn't God literally put it? What gives you the right? That's a good point. Psychosis? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people claim to talk to God or whatever, like, he told me to do this. And so they're just like these righteous warriors. Right. But I don't think he never claimed any of that. He just was like, it's he, my job. Like, bitch, no, it ain't. Right. But it's like on behalf of God, why are you going to kill someone? Also, there's literally the Bible verse that I quoted. Um, it says... Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's own eye. He like literally had problems of his own, but was taking it out on other people. Right. And he was the problem all along. It was never John Lennon. Your logic was flawed, Mark David Chapman. There's also <laughs> the one part of, I'm going to cite the Bible as well. There's the one part that says like, thou shalt not kill. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'll get there. There's more. There's more than one Bible quote. In October of 1980, Chapman bought a 38 caliber Charter Arms revolver in Hawaii. He flew to New York two days later, successfully learning from the FAA how to fly with a revolver. Huh. He stayed in New York. He was doing some recon, and then he returned home uh, in mid-November. Chapman came back to New York on December 6th. He stayed at the YMCA. I heard it's fun to stay there. They have everything there for you men to enjoy. You can hang out with all the boys. Yeah. We'll have to remember to do a reading from the gay sex book by by the end of this episode. <laughs> um. Anyways, we where did but where I was I on the day of the murder? How do I speak words? So he stayed at the YMCA for one day, and then uh, the next night at the Sheraton in Manhattan. On the day of the murder, Chapman was waiting outside near the entrance of the building for hours. He spoke to other fans, the doorman, their family nanny. Chapman even met Sean, reaching out to shake the five-year-old's hand while calling him a beautiful boy. Creepy. It puts the lotion on the skin. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful boy is a reference to a John Lennon song. That morning, Lennon had stepped out of a cab, but Chapman was distracted at the time, and so he missed it. So he ended up staying outside all day while Annie Leibovitz took the final photos of Yoko and John for Rolling Stone. Annie promised that the images would make the cover. Little did she know what was to come and why they were about to make the cover. Um, one image depicts Yoko fully clothed. For once. Hmm? For once. fully closed for once thank you Cassie and laying on the ground with Lennon curling up to her nude in the fetal position Uh, it's a pretty striking image after the shoot Lennon gave his final interview to RKO radio network before preparing to head to the studio at 5pm while they walked to their limo Chapman asked for an autograph Lennon politely obliged and he often gave photos and autographs to fans that were waiting outside of the building Chapman said of the interaction, he was very kind to me, ironically very kind, and was very patient with me. The limousine was waiting, and he took his time with me, and he got the pen going, and he signed my album. He asked me if I needed anything else, and I said, no, no, sir, and he walked away. Very cordial and decent man. A photographer even snapped a photo of this interaction. That's That's got to be wild, capturing someone's last photos and their killer in the same frame. Yeah. Uh, just imagine if Chapman had changed his mind during that interaction. Those photos would have never seen the light of day. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So Lennon returned home that evening only to say goodnight to his son, Sean, before heading to the stage deli with Yoko. 
Chapman was still waiting, and the pair recognized him from before. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. (laughs) It's like... She just gets really like... (laughs) Chapman was still waiting, and the pair recognized him from before. He nodded at Yoko, and once Lennon had passed about nine or ten feet, Chapman called out, Mr. Lennon, and then shot him in the back. John Lennon staggered up the steps of the Dakota and said, I'm shot, I'm shot, and then he fell to the ground. Workers came rushing. The doorman, the same guy the student had talked to all day, kicked the gun away, and the concierge went to tend to the wounds. But upon ripping open John's shirt, he realized the severity of them. He covered Lennon's chest with his uniform jacket and just called for the police to come over. Um, Because you got to remember, they're like right in Central Park. Like there's cops everywhere. So mm -hmm. Chapman stood waiting, removing his coat and hat to show that he was not armed. The doorman yelled at him, do you know what you just did? And Chapman responded in a calm voice. I just shot John Lennon. Psycho. Yeah. I really got serial killer vibes reading about this guy. Honestly. Well, no, like no empathy. Was that, was that what it he is? He had a list, right? Yeah, he had a list. Remember, we did oh, that mini yeah. episode that um, oh, yeah. that David Bowie was the next person on his hit list. My question is, why wouldn't why would the doorman let him like be there all day? Like it's loitering. I mean, not if he was on the sidewalk or just outside of the building. Yeah. As long as the he's not, whole day. It's like okay, you gotta go. It can't regulate the sidewalk. If it's That's why people get to fucking hang out outside of a Planned Parenthood all fucking day. If they're just, on the sidewalk, it's public property. He doesn't have authority over that. But yeah, so he just responded, I just shot John Lennon and fucking David Bowie was next. Um, officers arrived two minutes later to Chapman reading The Catcher in the Rye. Ironic because Lennon, not The Catcher in the Rye part, um, Lennon and David Bowie had a song together also. Yeah, and remember we we talked about this in the mini episode that we did um david bowie was supposed to be at the show yeah or no 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 john lennon and yoko have front row seats to david bowie's new show and mark david chapman also had a seat Mm. i think is what it was and so like the next night there were three empty seats in the front row and bowie still had to perform but that's when he was going to get him if he Mm -hmm. didn't get john lennon he could have gotten them both just crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So officers arrived two minutes later to Chapman reading The Catcher in the Rye. I was wondering what Salinger might have said to this interaction, but he was like a pretty private guy and there was like nothing about yeah the fact that this guy like took this book to heart and killed someone. Because I mean, you can't blame the artist because people were blaming Metallica when Fade to Black came out because they said that it was causing their kids to commit suicide. It's like this song is not <laughs> causing anyone to do anything. No, the song it's probably is a fucking you. song. Yeah, it's you. It's your p- shitty parenting, and your kids are depressed, and you're not doing anything about it, and they yeah. identify with the song. The song's not encouraging suicide. Right. Your kid's depressed. They didn't just hear the song and go like, you know what? I'm going to fucking kill myself. But uh, Except for that's how I feel when I watch a musical. Ugh. It's not because I'm depressed. It's because well, I, I fucking hate musicals. In the musicals. terms of like, if you wrote something that somebody then took to heart and then killed someone, like I w- there would be like immense guilt on my end you know i'd be like oh my gosh i can't believe i mean yeah you might feel partially responsible i i could totally see that so officers cuffed mark david chapman they put him in the car as he was apologizing for ruining their night and they were like bro you just ruined your fucking life and you killed somebody like don't worry about inconveniencing us right. uh john was laying in the reception area still with blood coming from his chest and his mouth the situation was too dire to wait for an ambulance So they took him in a squad car as he drifted out of consciousness. 
Once at the hospital, they tried for about 15 minutes to resuscitate him with a manual heart massage. His injuries were too great, although three bullets passed through, one of them lodged in his aorta, a vital artery by his heart. The hollow point bullets tore up his internal organs on impact. His body was taken to the morgue for autopsy, and the cause of death was listed as hypovolemic shock caused by loss of more than 80% blood volume due to multiple gunshot wounds. Ono requested to tell her son Sean about the death before the media reported, as he would probably be at home watching TV. It just so happened that a news producer was in the waiting room of the hospital when Lennon was wheeled in and reported the news on his own to his station immediately. So it broke during a Monday night football broadcast as announcers Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell were closing out the game. So they had been fed this news and told to announce it, and they were like, what the fuck? Like, is this appropriate? So this is the conversation that happened on the air. Yeah. uh, Cosell says... But the game's suddenly been placed in total perspective for us. I'll finish this. They're in the hurry-up offense. I don't know how to speak about sports. Um, Gifford said, third down, four. Chuck Foreman, it'll be fourth down. Matt Cavanaugh will let it run down for one final attempt. He'll let the seconds tick off to give Miami no opportunity whatsoever. So then the whistle blows. He says, timeout is called with three seconds remaining. John Smith is on the line. And I don't care what's on the line, Howard. You've got to say what we know in the booth. Castle says... Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard to go back to the game after that news flash, which, in duty bound, we have to talk or we have to take. Frank and Gifford says, indeed it is. The next day, Ono released a statement. She said, there is no funeral for John. Later in the week, we will set a time for a silent vigil to pray for his soul. We invite you to participate from wherever you are at the time. John loved and prayed for the human race. Please pray the same for him. Love, Yoko and Sean. So Chapman later said in the week before killing John Lennon, he'd been listening to the John Lennon plastic Ono band. And what struck him was the God, the track God, which builds to a close with Lennon's rising list of denunciations. Where he says, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the Beatles. And then Chapman says, who does he think he is? And then he remembered thinking, saying those things about God and heaven and the Beatles. But again, Chapman is out here holding the Beatles in close relation to God. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also the first commandment, thou shalt not have other gods before me kind of situation. You know, you know, one of those kind of things. She's poking holes in his argument. Um, (laughs) So... On August 24th, 1981, Chapman was sentenced to 20 years to life for the murder of John Lennon, and as of today, in 2022, has de- been denied parole 11 times. In the past parole, please, Chapman has stated that he has since found Jesus. No, dude. No, Jesus. You can't say that, because that's the whole fucking reason why you claim to have done this in the first Blah. place. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. So he said he also has felt more and more shame for the crime every year, and he's willing to pay for it in prison however long it takes. So this whole time, he wasn't even Christian. I, I think technically he was, or he believed himself to be. Sounds to me like with all his free time in prison that he maybe became one of those born-again Christians, or at least trying to use that as an excuse to get out. I was baptized when I was a small child, but I didn't know what I was baptized for. But then he said something about God, and now I'm mad, so I'm going to... No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
Thump that bottle. <laughs> his next parole hearing is actually scheduled for August of 2022. I doubt he's going to get out. Yeah, seriously. Doesn't Yoko... Uh, she goes every single time. Yeah, that she's kind of keeping him from getting out. Yeah. And, I mean, I would not feel safe No, if I were her. I mean, this dude's been in prison now for, what, 40 years? His list is probably getting longer and longer. Yeah, There's, and we, you're yeah. just supposed to believe that he's like, oh, I found God in jail. No, you fucking didn't. First of all, God's not real. Second of all, you're just using it as... I'm sorry, Cassie. I really offended her. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck? Okay. So, like, it's just... Of course you're going to spend your time in prison pretending to be reformed because you want to get out. In the meantime, you've spent 40 years in prison for a time that, or a crime that you thought at the time was justified. And you're going to tell me you don't have any sort of resentment or anger? I mean, it, you, no, he might not. He might actually be you know, better or whatever, but I wouldn't want to be in her shoes at that point. Well, it did. he did say that he does regret what he did, but he's also willing, like, he knows it's bad, and if he doesn't get out, he's like, obviously, like, I understand why. Yeah, I mean, so, stay there. Stay stop there. stop I wouldn't, getting parole hearings. He, he, he wouldn't be able to survive today anyways. No. no. He, Everything's so different. He lost a whole lot of uh It's 40 time. years of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just feel Let me scared. see your resume. <laughs> I would feel scared if I were her. I would not want him out because I wouldn't feel safe. Yeah. Or she, the son, even. Yeah. I mean, he literally, like, walked up to them, said hello, asked for a fucking autograph. This dude is delusional. He was able to maintain, like, a sense of acting normal then. What's to say he wouldn't do it if he got out? Sure. I mean, fuck that. So, um, <laughs> George Harrison had the opportunity to release a statement to the press. And I say that because comparing his reaction to Paul McCartney's reaction he prepared this statement and it was it was well thought out whatever um so he, George Harrison says after all we went through together I had and still have great love and respect for him I am shocked and stunned to rob a life is the ultimate robbery in life the perpetual encroachment on other people's space is taken to the limit with the use of a gun it is an outrage that people can take other people's lives when they obviously haven't gotten their own lives in order Harrison later privately told friends, I just wanted to be in a band. Here we are 20 years later and some whack job has shot my mate. I just wanted to play guitar in a band. And so I just took this next part from Wikipedia because it was worded pretty well. Paul McCartney addressed reporters outside his Sussex home that morning and said, I can't take it at the moment. John was a great man who will be remembered for his unique contributions to art, music and peace. He is going to be missed by the whole world. Later that day, McCartney was leaving an Oxford Street recording studio when reporters asked him for his reaction. He ended his response. Drag, isn't it? Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. His apparently casual response was widely criticized. McCartney later said that he had intended no disrespect and was simply unable to articulate his feelings, given the shock and sadness he felt over Lennon's murder. Right, and plus he's being hounded by the press who wouldn't really give him time to process what happened. Yeah, right. like, what do you want him to break down in front? Like, that's just so that's, vulnerable. That's what they want, yeah. yeah. Men don't cry. Um, while Lennon continues Real to... Real <laughs> Jake's over there crying right now. <laughs> um, Lennon continues to inspire future musicians to this day, but he was also posthumously honored with an induction to the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1987, a Recording Academy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1991, and again in 2014 as a member of the Beatles. In addition to the 15 Beatles works in the Grammy Hall of Fame, Lennon has one solo work in the hall, Imagine, which was inducted in 1999. And of course, at 1750 Vine Street on the Hollywood Walk of Fame sits a star specifically for Lennon himself. So that is the story of John Lennon. 
um, super long. I mean, it definitely it could have been longer if we decided to focus more on Mark David Chapman. But I think something that we kind of try to do in this show is focus on the murderer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it could have been super, super long. Um, (laughs) Obviously, there are books and shit written about. I don't even think we talked about Yellow Submarine at all. No, no, we didn't. We skipped out on some Beatles albums. Some of these artists, though, I think it's interesting. We really do focus more so on the music. But with the Beatles, I mean, don't we all know all of their shit? There's so much more that we could have said. There's so much information on this band. But then this would have been 17 parts and y'all would have been tired of hearing us talk. And we never would have finished because (laughs) it's too much. It takes us so long to do some fucking research. (laughs) So we might have to hook up with Nina and get Victoria and Nina writing. That'd be fun. That would be cool. But we need a break. So um, thank you guys for listening to this season Oh, we've been a podcast for like a year and a half now. We've got four full seasons. I mean, this one had a shitload of episodes. Yeah. Um, but we were just doing 10. So we've got at least... We have five seasons because of the Patreon. Yeah, we did a Patreon season. So we've got at least 50 full episodes out there. Um, even more than that because we had a bunch of two-parters. And it's been awesome doing it. Uh, we're going to continue to release mini episodes and stuff on our Patreon while we are in the downtime. We don't know when season five is going to come out. We haven't even begun to think about it because, you know, this this is a pandemic podcast. We're it's, tired. Yeah, it started <laughs> when we had nothing else going on. So all we had time to do was research and fucking record. But it, it's fucking hard out here. You got jobs and shit that have lots of requirements and... It's now with the world waking up again, it's become really hard to find the time. But that being said, we're not done. Hell no. Not after we bought all this fucking equipment. Yeah. Um, We're not done. We just don't have a date for you. Um, It's probably going to be late summer, I would say. Summer's fucking crazy. I would say after that. Yeah. Ca- oh, yeah. Ca- <laughs> it's going to be after that for sure. I am it's having May a right baby. Now. Yeah. Cassie's got a baby due in September. We wanted to re-record seasons one and two. So I think that that's going to be where the bulk of our focus lies. Um, and then getting you guys some new content at some point. I don't know. We just hope that you keep listening. And if you are feeling deprived... You can always find us on Patreon. We will be releasing two episodes a month up there. And it's only $5 a month. It just helps us because this shit's expensive. And so far, we're not getting paid because we can't even begin to find the time to look into advertising and, and how to monetize a podcast. So uh, it's it's been a lot just for the research. We're trying. We're going to try and get some money for it. And then once we actually like get paid, then it'll make it a little bit more worth it to spend 10 hours a week on, on, yeah. a, on a, <laughs> a hobby that, you know, it's whatever. So thank you guys for listening. If you've just found us on this episode, please go back and listen to our previous seasons. I mean, season three. <laughs> um, anyways, there's there's a ton of content out there. We appreciate you. Share us with your family and friends. And um, did we want to read from the gay sex book? No. No? Okay. There is a gay sex book. We'll read from it next time. On the mi- <laughs> we'll, we'll do it on the mini episodes. How about that? Oh, shit. This episode's long. That's what I'm saying. Sitting at 105 right now. We got it. Okay. Hey. Uh, rest in peace. Bye. Later.
Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.